Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Aparuta de sangamatasa tauraye sodavantabamunjantu satang So this afternoon is a time for reflection. Means to listen and notice how the words that I speak affect you. They're like this, whether they inspire, confuse, or you feel averse, or you don't agree, or whatever. Be the witness to the feeling, to the result of listening to a Dhamma talk on this day. So I'm asking you all a question. Are you a slave to your imagination? This is a definition of a slave is someone who has no ability to do other than follow his thoughts, his or her thoughts or emotions of the present time, beliefs. So most of us have experienced slavery to our imagination, believing in our thoughts, our memories, our the reality that we're conditioned with, the sense of reality that we believe in. And we don't reflect on it, we don't question it, we tend to operate from this grasping of beliefs, of concepts, of opinions, views. And so the world is like this, the world that you create, that we all create, is a world that of, of concepts, of images. So then ask yourself, are you a slave to the images in your mind, to the beliefs or the emotions that, that appear and disappear in your conscious existence? So drama, when you Contemplating dramas, it's all about romance, adventure, excitement, things that stimulate the imagination. Then we come to the word Dhamma, this Pali word, and try to imagine it. You know, try to to imagine this word, it's a, it's a 
we take a word from the ancient Pali language and put it into an English context? What do we mean? Do we believe in Dhamma? Can we be a slave to Dhamma? So this is this kind of investigation of the way things are, the way it is. You can investigate, you can uh, romance, adventure, excitement, good, bad, forces of good and evil, heaven and hell, right and wrong. We can all create images or have strong views about righteousness and goodness and about the, there's a devil, is there a kind of permanent evil force, a satanic permanent evil force in the universe? We can believe in it or disbelieve in it. But what we can know in whatever our habitual reaction to the subject is that we're aware. We can be aware of the images, aware of the thoughts, the concepts. We're aware of the word Dhamma. When I speak this, this word, you can be, you're aware that you're listening to, to a, a Pali word in an English context. This you can know. You hear, you receive, and the word itself, how does it affect you? Does it have, does it leave you confused or you believe in it, even though you may not, can't define it or has no qualities, no, no size? It's not earth, fire, water, and air. It's not space. But consciousness, this word consciousness, ability, knowing the here and now is like this. This is a fact. This is not a belief. And just pointing this out, you know, how religions tend to operate very much from beliefs that you adopt. So the, what we call religion is, is usually based on a acceptance of certain beliefs in an ultimate deity, a, a god, or a force in the universe, or whatever you want to, whatever words you use to describe ultimate reality. But even the words ultimate reality, what is that? Ultimate reality, you know, you can't imagine ultimate reality. You can imagine anything good, bad, right and wrong. And this is where I encourage you to trust this awareness of the way we slavishly hold to views and opinions because we, as long as we bind ourselves to these conditions, we're, 
we are going to experience suffering because the, the end result of grasping of a condition is experience of dukkha or suffering. So very opinionated people are slaves to their beliefs, their opinions. They'll fight for them, die for them, argue, do anything. If you're fully convinced you're right, that your sense of what's true and real is like this, and you define it, But is that liberation? Is, are we going to grasp a belief and die for it? Or in the terms of meditation, we're, observe, we're the observer, the witness to the belief that we grasp. The whole, the belief might be a very good one. Beliefs can be, have both qualities. But uh, the grasping, this blind, slavish grasping of beliefs, of concepts, is the very source of, the very basis of suffering. Why do we suffer? Why is the world the way it is? Why is there wars and conflicts and arguments and endless strife? And so listening to the news, we hear all kinds of miserable concepts about right and wrong and who's at fault and who's, you know, and we take sides. We tend to sympathize with one over the other, which is quite all right, but it's, but it's not that we're promoting taking sides with anything, but observing being the witness, the puto, the witness of the condition that we tend to believe in and grasp, that we slavishly adhere to. So the ego is a, is a form of slavery. When we're just operating from our egos, because they're based on beliefs, on habit patterns. So the ego is, can be witnessed. And we, ego can't witness itself. So when you're aware of your conceits, your beliefs, your prejudices, your biases, that's not an ego being aware of something egotistical. That's awareness, pure conscious awareness, aware of a condition that is, could be pleasant or unpleasant. So then trust in this ability to, to begin to really see how simple it is, its ultimate simplicity, because we're not asking you to, to uh, get anything you don't have or get rid of all your faults and bad habits and 
get rid of your beliefs and your prejudices and tell you how, how you should be as a individual personality, what a good Buddhist is, what a good bhikkhu is, what a good siladhara is like, is like this. We're not holding up images of goodness or righteousness or perfection, but encouraging you to observe that no, my, how superlative a condition might be when you grasp it, then you're enslaved to that view. You're limited. You're confined to the limitation of the view that you're grasping. Where non-grasping is not annihilating the images, but standing behind them, observing them. Being the puto, the witness, the Buddha, the refuge in the Buddha, is taking this position of witnessing, it's like this. So these words, it's like this, and notice, it, as I've told you many times, it's non-judgmental, it's just pointing out, using words to just rest in the, in the awareness of something that might be emotionally traumatizing or inspiring, whatever the condition of the moment is, it's like this. Can you really have any other, you know, right now, your emotion, your feeling is like this, whatever it might be. And the feelings of so many people in one place are not going to be identical. But we could all be slaves to our feelings. And so like a cult, when we talk about the use of the word cult, when religion or spiritual groups become cults, they're based on everybody grasping the same belief. So when you grasp the same belief, then you've got people that, that don't believe in what you're grasping. They become heretics. The evil forces become your enemy because they don't go along with the cult belief system that is imposed on you. You, don't, you weren't born with a belief system, with a language with an identity. Now it's really important to, to be the witness to your thoughts. So like, <clears throat> this is, this is a particular style of uh, Thai forest tradition of the Puto, the Buddha's a kind of mantric form of the word Buddha. So the word Buddha becomes not just a part of a religious practice, a, a, a word that we chant, we believe in the Buddha, but it's actually taking the word itself and 
it means to be aware, awakened to the way it is in the present moment. And so many of us have suffered in monastic life because we're always trying to get something we don't have. We want to become enlightened. We want to get samadhi. We want to get rid of our defilements, our fears, our jealousies. We want to become some ideal that we imagine that we're very attached to. So we create an image of a perfect monk or nun and then compare the realities of our experience as a human individual in daily life. Now notice a perfect image of a monk or a nun is a, it's just a collection of words. And you can take words to, you know, the superlative position, the best that you can possibly imagine and try to and grasp that blindly, become enslaved to, to ideals. But the witness, the puto, is aware of that grasping. When we grasp ideals, then we're always feeling inadequate because daily life for each one of us is not ideal. Daily life is like this. It's not a community of perfect individuals dedicated to enlightenment like we would like it to be as an ideal, but a group of individuals who conform in external ways through action and speech, but whose attachments can be all over the place, can be sensible, rational, reasonable attachments, or crazy attachments, madness, foolishness, nonsense. Because <clears throat> forms can take any any kind of position, you know, they change and they they can uh, be very inspiring and then a few years later they, they're depressing. If we always compare ourselves to an ideal of a samana or a spiritual seeker, that's another identity we, we like to identify with because it makes makes one feel special, a spiritual seeker, where the world around us, and we listen to the news of the day and all the worldly conditions and foolishness and problems and conditions that make dramas out of life. And we're, our drama is we're spiritually oriented, we're special or somehow we're going, we're right, and the rest are all foolish, wrong, misguided beings. It's a very arrogant position to take when you look at it. But it is like this to feel superior, it's a belief. Because what is, are we, is there anybody superior to anyone else? We can believe they are. 
You know, so we have class systems. We have upper class, middle class, lower class, working class, peasants, hoi polloi, vulgar herd. We can you have various terms for various elements in the society as helpful or criminal. But they're all created images, created conditions that we impose on life. And that's the drama of existence, is that when we believe in certain things and we feel, uh, you know, we can feel endangered if somebody doesn't agree, we can feel threatened, we can feel a sense of community and harmony with each other when we're all in agreement. We can, we want, would like to live in complete harmony is an ideal. And when somebody doesn't, doesn't harmonize with us and we feel threatened. And all this is grist for the mill. We can observe this. And so the encouragement is to give you the, the, the empowerment to take this, this position of the witness rather than as a personality. Lay people, what, how do you feel about samanas, monks and nuns? You know, how do you relate to us in our external form or the tradition that we're representing? You know, so it's, it's like this. Some of you find it inspiring, others are critical of it. It might intimidate you, it might uh, inspire you, but the puto is not inspired or intimidated, but observing. Intimidation is like this. Feeling inspired and believing in the superiority of the Sangha is like this. And so this is a way of libera liberating yourself from slavery, from the slavery of habits. So all the conditioning is habitual, you know, so the ego is a habit. It's not a real person. It's not a flesh and blood living reality, it's a belief, a habit belief that you've acquired after you were born. So that's why you can't trust it. The ego tends to delude us, cause endless problems with grief and sorrow, pleasure and pain because we're caught in this vortex of, of binding ourselves to the changing wheel of fortune. We're caught in this cycle we call samsara, birth and death cycle. The witness, the puto, it's consciously aware. It's not a, a kind of blind state of 
like a zombie or just uh, a dead leaf. It's fully aware and it's, it's not personal. So, the gate to the deathless is open, that's awareness, mindfulness, conscious awareness, consciousness. So consciousness, <clears throat> use the metaphor of the gate to the deathless, because consciousness, awareness, is deathless. What is death-bound is your views, opinions, your feelings, your senses, your bodies, your opinions and views, they all take you to death, to the end. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the way to death. So whether we realize it or not, when we're slaves to our imagination, then we're dying all the time. Life is just a series of changing conditions. We're caught up in a, in a kind of helpless world that we can't control, that we can dread, that we can ignore. We can imagine a perfect society but no society can be perfect according to an ideal because societies are conditions. They're made up with views and opinions, preferences, individuals. So even in democratic societies, you know, we brought up in, in upholding democracy, as an ideal form of political practice. But what do we mean by that? Is, is this country really democratic according to an ideal of democracy? Or we can always find fault with it, whatever country you're living in, that should be completely democratic and fair. But they aren't, because they can't be. Just like you can't always be an ideal monk or nun, a perfect man or perfect woman. Because perfection is another image that we grasp. We can imagine it, but we can't create perfection that lasts forever, because all conditions are impermanent. So what is Dhamma? Can you be a slave to the Dhamma? You can create an, an Im imagined Dhamma in your mind, call it the absolute, or, you know, but what, what is that? What is the absolute, or supreme reality, ultimate reality? 
you know, these are beautiful words, but they are words. So what is Dhamma here and now is perfect already. It's not personal, it's not male or female, it's not samanas, it's not lay people, it's like this. And then the gate to the deathless, the conscious awareness, is where we realize Dhamma for ourselves. It's reality. And it's immutable, it's not impermanent, changing condition. That, so when we take refuge in Dhamma, we're taking refuge in the deathless. But as I've been saying, you can't imagine the deathless because that's what you are. Ultimately, when you let go, really relax and let go of life, let go of your opinions, views, fears, identities, habit patterns. Doesn't mean they, you don't have any anymore, but it means you're not attached to them. The world still operates according to its karmic tendencies. So even at the time of the Buddha, when he was enlightened, how many of his you know, direct disciples really took refuge in awareness. Totally letting go of conditioned phenomena. Now that can sound like, you know, it sounds like an ideal, another ideal. But this is to be proven to yourself when we say to be realized individually. So all these words that I'm using at this time are just words. But what are they? I'm trying to use words that point to the reality of awareness that each one of us that perfection that, that is our true nature, all of us. And then we ask ourselves, where is it? What is it? You can't find it. You can't define it. It's not a sense experience. It's what we call enlightened or awakened to reality that we know this, in budget time, it's, we know this for ourselves. It's no longer a belief that we've heard from teachers or scriptures. So when we talk about modern society, we talk about slaves to imagination. We can say we live in a society of slaves, even though in democ democratic social systems like here in the UK. Because we are slaves to habits, to views and opinions, to prejudices that we acquire.
So a slave has no way out, isn't it? As long as we're enslaved to conditioned phenomena, we can't see any way out of it. We're operating from the ego, like trying to get enlightened as an ego trip. So, those of us who take on the monastic forms, we all want to get enlightened. The lay people coming to this talk want to get enlightened. It's a very desirable goal. Want to be free from suffering. So then the Buddha, in his teaching, basic teaching, is very clear on how to do that. It's not a kind of mystical teaching that requires belief. It's not a system that you have to believe in in order to fulfill your wishes to become enlightened or to be saved. It's a way of investigating the actual experience that individually we're having at the present moment. So in the Four Noble Truths, that's very, very skillful teaching the Buddha gave after his enlightenment to his disciples, first sermon of the Buddha, because it, suffering is a common human experience. We all suffer. And nobody wants to suffer. We want to be happy, secure, fulfilled, blessed by life, blessed by the heavens, by the gods, by the angels. As individuals, we want to live in a society that is fair and just and equal and not, not corrupt. That it has no, no, that everybody in it is practicing in the same way as we are. Because that's never going to happen. Because each one of us has a separate karmas. So we have this word in Pali Buddhism, karma which means cause and effect. So the cause and effect, the karma that we have is quite personal. Like that's why we're individuals, you know, when we look at ourselves, we, we don't see that the others are exactly like I am. We sometimes are mystified by the way by the behavior of other members of the Sangha or the lay community. Because we, we would never act like that or think like that. The war, the conflicts in Ukraine, you know, when we, when we hear the news, we, we feel a certain way. You know, like we, we can imagine ourselves caught in the, in, the, in a situation where our lives are in constant danger. 
there's war, fear, jealousy, greed for power. And all these are conditions, they're phenomenal conditions that are created by human beings that we attach to, that human beings, human individuals attach to, and then become enslaved to their particular habit patterns or conditions that, that they identify with. So life is in this realm that we're experiencing through these physical forms, these bodies. If we identify with that, with that, that's what I am as this physical body. You know, then this physical body is, you know, an old body now. But what isn't old is awareness. Conscious awareness doesn't, doesn't age. Memory does. Memory can, because that's acquired knowledge, isn't it? When you acquire knowledge through reading books or through being instructed by teachers or parents or whatever, that kind of knowledge can easily be lost or forgotten. But what isn't lost or forgotten is conscious awareness. And so it's to recognize this, to realize conscious awareness is like this. So just asking you the simple question, are you conscious? you say yes, because you know you're conscious. You don't have to consult the person next to you to find out whether you're conscious or not. <laughs> but what is it? When you know you're conscious, and then you, th you think the body's conscious, we're conscious through the senses, through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, we're conscious of our feelings, and the ignorance, the avicca, or the ignorance that motivates us to grasp all these conditions, then we become the conditions that we're grasping. I become this body, this old body. So, you know, that's, the old body has its problems. And if I identify myself with the body, then I'm an old man with a lot of problems. But the body is like this, so whatever state your body's in in the present moment, whether it's pleasant, painful, youthful, old, or middle-aged, or feminine, or masculine, however you want to describe it, it's like this. And that sense of it being like this, your refuge is in awareness, not in the condition that you're aware of. 
You let go of the condition. You don't annihilate it. You don't deny it. You don't have to change it. But just awareness itself is the gate to the deathless, the Eightfold Path, the way of liberation. I like to reflect on the past and the future. So just being aware of when I think of the future, then I start suffering. I can have hope for the future, I have plans for the future. This year I hope to visit my sister in America, which is not suffering, but then the idea of the future, having to travel to the west coast of the United States to see my 90-year-old sister is like this. It's not particularly, um, you know, it's, it has its kind of good side, but it's also kind of dread of having to go through the whole bureaucratic problems of immigration and onward into traveling in airplanes and things like this. So the future can be a worry. Will I, at my age, should I be traveling? with this COVID pandemic raging around the world, you know, then it sounds pretty dangerous to, to go, to fly all that distance from London to Seattle. You know, so that's the future though, isn't it? Right now, that, those are thoughts, images of the future. The past. Think of the past. Today I was thinking, remembering the uh, early years with Lung Po Cha at Wat Pa Po. And I felt the kind of nostalgia for those training years I spent with Ajahn Chah in Northeast Thailand a kind of nostalgic sense of nostalgia arose. It's like this. So clinging to nostalgia, you know, how can, that can never happen again. That, that event 50 years ago, 55 years ago, is a memory right now. It can't, you can't revive it. You can't find that again in your life it's because life at this moment is like this. And when I totally accept the present moment as it is, I don't suffer. The end of suffering. You 
in this void of silence, the silent awareness that has no form, no shape, no color, no quality, is the gate to the deathless. And we use the words conscious awareness, mindfulness, whatever words you want to use for it, but uh, the words aren't merely directional signs, they're not, not to be attached to, but how to use words to point to the present moment here and now Here in the temple, I always like sitting and meditating in this temple because it always has this kind of silent quality to it. But even in the midst of noise, of airports, of waiting in lines, of being pushed in wheelchairs by boarding airplanes, getting off airplanes, going through immigration. If, we're in the, if we abide in the silence, then the rest takes care of itself. We can deal with the flow of life as we experience it if we're aware, if we're not enslaved to views and opinions, preferences, prejudices and beliefs, then we have the wisdom to adapt to the changing conditions that we're experiencing through these forms. So trust in that. Trust in it. When the Buddha said the gate to the deathless is open, those that hear this, trust it. And this trust is not a belief. It's not a sense of expecting you to believe me. But it's an encouragement to trust awareness, which is what you really are. Your true nature is this aware, this state of aware, this natural awareness that we don't create that has no quality, no form, but is here and now, and not something far away, something high up that you have to get. So I offer this as a reflection for this afternoon.